Welcome to Tomorrow's Med Student. On this podcast, we talk to medical school admission tutors, medical students and doctors to help you get more of an insight into the application process, life as a medical student and life as a doctor. I'm Amrit, a junior doctor in the UK, and today we're talking to Professor Kevin Murphy from Imperial Medical School. Professor Murphy is a professor of endocrinology and metabolism and an admissions tutor for winding participation in undergraduate medicine. In today's podcast, we spoke about Imperial Medical School's application process, what makes the medical school unique, and how it promotes and supports widening participation. Professor Murphy mentions a couple of courses that you can get involved with, and I've left links to those courses in the show notes. So let's get to it. So thank you very much for agreeing to chat today. So a question I always ask everyone is, if you were to have any two people, dead or alive, uh, come to dinner with you, who would they be and why? Um... So I so thinking about that, I think I'd probably go for Curtis Mayfield, the musician, and Robert Capper, the photojournalist and war reporter. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why, why, why those people? Well, I I, I like <laughs> I like Curtis musically, but also a big part of the civil rights me- movement and growing up in the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago, kind of really interesting background and coming out through it with song and then really sadly kind of paralyzed in the 90s and still managing to keep on a musical career I don't, I don't know he just seemed like a really I think also he was just even in the face of all that adversity he seemed a really positive man um so I think that's yeah I, I quite inspiring uh, and and Robert Kappa is most famous as a, a, a war photographer so if you've ever seen the sort of D-Day landing photos he was the only guy to the only photographer on 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 Omaha Beach on D-Day and very famous photos of the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s, but also just quite an interesting guy coming out of Hungary and going to America, uh, affairs with Ingrid Bergman, met movie stars, did a book with John Steinbeck, um, and then ended up being killed in, in Vietnam in the 1950s, actually. But again, he I, I've read his autobiography, which is probably mostly fictional, but also pretty entertaining. I think he'd have some good stories. Oh, that sounds like an incredible life. Uh, makes me feel very boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, me too. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't know that I'd fit right into that company myself either. Um, so, I mean, maybe at the minute, I'd be. I'd be quite happy to sit down with my mum and dad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wouldn't we all? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, can I just start off then by asking what it is you do at Imperial Medical sure. School? So, I'm a professor of endocrinology and metabolism. So I'm actually a, a what we call a basic scientist. So I, I am not medically qualified. I, I, I'm a biologist. I did a PhD. I run a, a research group. Um, but one of my roles within the college is, is the admissions tutor for widening participation in undergraduate medicine. So I'm part of the medical school. I teach a lot of medical students and I do a lot of work on the admissions side. And I'm the, the, um, the academic lead for a lot of our widening participation programs. Okay, great. And, and I hopefully we'll get onto that, those in a moment. Uh, I'd just like to ask you, what, what do you think makes uh, Imperial Medical School unique? So, so I, look, I get asked this by a lot of students and people are always looking for you to kind of sell it a little bit. And, and, and look, there's lots of things you can talk about. It's got a great academic track record. It's got amazing resources. I think the teaching's really high quality. Uh, the thing I would really say, I guess, to your listeners is I think that a good idea for prospective medical students is to, if they can, 
go and see the medical schools they're interested in because a lot of it you can give it a lot of waffle and you can talk about it but actually you've got to think i'm going to be there for five or six years i want to go somewhere where i'm happy and i think a lot of people just get a bit of a feeling for that when they go and see a medical school or talk to students or talk to people who are there and so on so that's the thing i would really push so i don't want to give anybody the hard sell on imperial um outside of that as i say look it's obviously world-class university really great teaching really great kind of clinical opportunities and i think it's also um very diverse kind of very exciting environment to to learn in but you know come and see us or find out what else you can and, and see if it's the sort of place you'd be happy and you know touching on that you know come down and see imperial medical school uh theme what what's it like are students scattered over the city because there is there a campus or anything like that how does it work yeah so so we've got our kind of central campus at south kensington there's an awful lot of early years teaching there um we have our campus at charing cross hospital uh, which you can actually walk to from South Kensington in about half an hour, but most people will get the tube, I guess. Um, so that is in Hammersmith um, and a lot, particularly from the kind of second year onwards, uh, the, uh, there's a lot of medical stuff based there. And I think the medics often think of Charing Cross as their home. They've kind of got a bar there and things like that. Um, and then when you're on placement, obviously, yeah, you can be spread out quite a bit. You won't necessarily be as spread out as you might be at other medical schools, because I guess London, the density of London means that you've got so many different placements within kind of travelling distance on the tube that are, are fairly straightforward. So, um, but I guess during the more classroom based years, yeah, you're at South Kensington and Charing Cross mostly. And uh, just still staying on this theme for, for a little while longer. So when you get onto your clinical placements at Imperial, how wide a geographical area do, are your students covering and is most of that covered within the the normal public transport routes yeah the vast majority of it is i don't, I don't think i could give you the the, the geographical extent sure. but the vast majority of people can get there on public transport now occasionally some of those you know london's pretty big still and even west london's pretty big so it might be that it your commuting time is an hour but i would say it's never going to be more than that there's, it's very unusual that you'd need to be able to drive anywhere. Virtually everywhere is on public transport. And, the, and an awful lot of those placements are actually much closer than that to the, to the, the kind of the hospital. You know, you'll have placements in Charing Cross itself and St Mary's and so on. So places very, very near our campuses as well. Yeah, that's cool. Because there are some, some medical schools where, which are slightly more rural, I guess, where having a car is almost a necessity or at least a friend with a car. So that's really cool. That's good to know. Yeah, look, I mean, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of pros and cons for London. I, I love living in London, um, but I guess one of the, the benefits is a really the public transport is really, really good. And yeah. you, you can get around pretty easily. Um, what are you looking for in your potential medical students at Imperial? Um, so, look, I, I, again, a lot of medical schools will be looking for the similar kind of qualities, I guess. Uh, priority is you know people who are good at science we hope and want to use that science in a kind of positive constructive way in a health context um going back to what i said earlier i think we'd like people who we think are going to be happy here so it's a pretty diverse and exciting environment uh london if you if it, it, it can be very exciting as well lots of things to do anything you kind of like but it isn't going to be quiet and so if people are looking for maybe a <laughs> somewhere where they're not they're not they're not bothered by noise on a weekend or, or things like that it's probably going to be less helpful for them 
Um, and then I guess when we're thinking of taking people on, we're trying to assess them for all sorts of qualities. I guess we, we would like them to be kind of mature for their age or maybe, you know, thoughtful and thinking about, I guess, what they're getting themselves into in terms of medical school. Um, I think that the, one of the big things that you're looking for when you're, you're interviewing people is, do they really understand what it means to be a doctor? Because I guess the government's going to spend a lot of money on their training and they're going to do something, you know, they're going to train for a long time at medical school for, with us for six years, but then a lot of training after that. And what we really want to know is, you know, do you understand that? Do you understand what it's like a bit to be a doctor? Because really what you want to do is train people like that and then you want them to be a doctor for the rest of their life. And you want them to be happy doing that as well. And so people who've got a bit of a grip and also understand the challenges in the health service and the challenges of being a doctor and even on, you know, even in that context, they're still, you know, that's what they want to do. That's what we're really looking for. Yeah, that, that's a common theme with most people we talk to is about, you know, understanding not, not only what's really good and the opportunities of the career, but actually what will drive you mad and uh, make you question your choices or, almost on a daily basis. So yeah, yeah really, really important. And you know, beyond that, would you give any other advice to anyone who's thinking about applying specifically to Imperial? um so look ha have a look at our website there's a huge amount of information there if you've got any queries there's also a contact email there we're very happy to answer stuff um try and come to our open days hopefully at some point in the future they will be actual open days and not via teams or zoom or whatever but the virtual ones i think are quite helpful as well um try you know particularly for talking to students and so on i, I think they're actually here and getting a, a feel what, for what the experience is and also, you know, I, I say this to all medical school students, wherever, or potential medical students, wherever they're thinking of applying, but make sure you really check the website about how the application process works for the individual medical schools you're thinking about, because we're all kind of looking for the same thing, but we all look in slightly different ways. And the, the way that the admissions process works is, is slightly different. And, and I guess for us, um, it's kind of like a series of hurdles that you get over. You need to be predicted um, decent enough grades, and then we tend to look at your BMAT score. So we use the, the biomedical admissions test. Um, and what that means is that essentially, if you don't have a good BMAT score, we don't look at the rest of it. So it's not that, you know, you get a poor BMAT and you make up for it by having amazing work experience. For us, you know, the BMAT is really, really important. And I guess the other thing around that is, I think that some people think that the BMAT is, you can't really study for it. Um, but actually you really can. Um, there's a lot of information on the, on the, on the providers, the people who provide the BMAT, uh, Cambridge Assessment, there's a lot of material on their website and past papers and guided through questions and so on. And most of the evidence suggests that you don't need to pay money to go on a course to be trained to do it. What really predicts whether people are gonna do better in the BMAT is the amount of time they spend actually practicing for it. And what really, really helps is practicing past papers under timed conditions. The timing's really tight for the BMAT. And so getting used to how quick you have to answer things and how the questions are asked and the, the style of questions is really, really helpful. Yeah, I think I would um, definitely echo that. So I applied to medical school twice the first and I used the UK cap because I was a graduate and the first time I didn't really take it very seriously uh, and because I was told you can't you can't improve your score by studying but that's yes yeah, it's, it's false my my score improved considerably the second time around yeah. so can I ask, sorry 
No, so I was just going to say, so the UK, I think particularly people think that for the UCAT because it's an aptitude test, whereas the BMAT has some content for GCSE level. But it, you're, you're absolutely true. It, it, you really can practice for the, it's called the UCAT now. Um, you really can practice for that as well, because actually getting used to the kind of aptitudes they're looking for is, you know, non, you know, nonverbal reasoning and all that kind of thing. It's really helpful to practice. And so you you screen them first by looking at their predicted grades and they get a tick and then you look at their BMAT score. Is that, do you normally have a, the, a set range? Does that change every year? Is it based on how everyone's performing that year? Uh, yeah, it, depend, it depends on how people are performing that year. So we don't have an official cutoff. Um, we do publish, I think, the the scores or the, the lower limit of the score that people got in with the previous year. So people yeah. get an idea of where they need to get. Um, we also adjust the scoring for um, uh, candidates who are, are are flagged as being widening participation candidates. Sure. Okay. And then so they get through that screening process. And then what happens in the selection process? Do you go through their personal statement or is it straight invitation to interview? Um, so for us now, uh, we, we used to go through the personal statements and actually now um, we we pretty much just go to interview stage there. Um, we do use the personal statements in the interview. Um, so, but we we I think we we decided that actually ranking people based on personal statement at that point was it's actually quite challenging. And I guess the the old saying about personal statements is you don't know who wrote. It. So in a way, it's nicer to talk to people in person and get an idea of what they like it to be. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Again, that's a common thing that's come out from other medical schools. It's hard to be objective about a personal statement. It's hard to know about credibility be, behind who wrote it. Um, but it's interesting that it's still used in your interviews. I suspect then that's someone asking questions specifically about what they wrote. Um, so it, do, it doesn't have to be. It's, it, it's more that usually the interviewee has a copy of the personal statement because, for example, they might be talking to them about their work experience or talking to them about, you know, what they've done to find out about medicine. And sometimes it's helpful to correlate that with what they've put on their personal statement. Um, they, they're not, it's not really, you're not trying to catch people out, if you know what I mean. It just adds a, a bit more depth when you're talking to them. Sure, some, some more context. And so a, a lot of potential medical students worry about the need to stand out amongst their peers, you know, having done Duke of Edinburgh, been in a sports team or a captain of a sports team or whatever. For people who don't do those things or haven't had those opportunities, would you say they're at a disadvantage or do you think that those sorts of things aren't looked at as closely anymore? So, look, I, th I think we are interested in stuff beyond just your academics, but I think we're also, everybody's very aware that people have different opportunities. And I think we're interested how people have used the opportunities they've had. It doesn't necessarily mean they've had to go on some trek through the jungle or, or that kind of thing. It, uh, but, you know, there's lots of, you know, non-academic qualities that we're looking for and often people use the stuff they do outside of school to demonstrate that they've got those kind of qualities like teamwork and, and leadership and resilience and so on but there are lots of ways you can show that it doesn't it doesn't have to be yeah grade eight piano or yeah gold gold duke of edinburgh you know what i mean it, we're interested in what people have done in terms of you know the teams they've been on that might be sport might be debates but it might it might be other stuff that you're involved with outside of it but I, I guess when people come into the medical school part of what makes it quite vibrant and exciting and we have an awful lot of um, clubs that students are involved in is obviously what the students bring in with themselves so their interests and what excites them yeah uh, and uh, that, that's the exciting thing about medical school in a way is um, 
if you turn up and there's not a club or society that you know, reflects your interest, you can just go out there and make your own. It's really fun and really enjoyable like that. Yeah. And how does Imperial Medical School encourage uh, widening participation? You've touched on a couple of things, but feel free to go deeper. Okay, so, so Imperial College as a whole uses contextual data. Uh, and so essentially that's looking at kind of school performance postcode in terms of proportion of, or number of people it's sending, the, the postcode is sending into higher education, um, things like whether your parents went to university or not, um, whether you've been in care. Um, and essentially, if you are then on that system, you're flagged as being a widening participation student. Um, what that means for medicine is that you'll have your BMAT score adjusted. Um, and so basically, roughly speaking, what that means is we look at the average score for the different components of the BMAT from those flagged as widening participation versus the average score for the rest of the pool of applicants. And we, we add the difference to the widening participation students. Um, and what it also means is so um, from A-levels, our, our typical offer is A-star AA with the A-star in chemistry or, or biology. Um, and our kind of minimum offer is three A's. So most people get an A-star AA offer, but if you're flagged as widening participation, you get a three A offer, which might not sound like a lot, but it actually matters quite a lot to that demographic. It kind of, when I've looked in the past, it sort of doubles the number of people making their offers. So it, it does make quite a difference. Um, Incredible. Yeah. And outside of that, we have some particular widening participation programs. So we run a scheme called Pathways to Medicine. Um, which is uh, with the Sutton Trust, the social mobility charity and funded by Health Education England. Um, and for that, what we do is we, we, we pick up um, 60 students from, they, usually, they have to be based in London just because we run events over a couple of years basically for them and they have to be able to attend. Um, but from one, again, we, 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 we get a lot of applicants for it. So we get kind of hundreds of applicants for the 60 places and then we kind of rank them by their widening participation status and what they tell us about themselves. Um, and then if they're on that scheme, um, so we, we used to start it in, in year 11, but now the latest cohort, we're starting them at year 12 at the beginning of sixth form. And they come to us for kind of taster sessions where they get to talk to doctors and doctors talk about their careers. We run some kind of science stuff. Um, we give them an e-mentor who's a current student. Um, when things open up, we arrange work experience placements for them across the trust. Um, at the minute, we're running some kind of virtual work experience events for them um, because we, we don't know exactly how it's all going to run. We, we send the school a bit of guidance on writing a reference for medicine. Um, we give them some BMAT, UCAT training. We give them some interview training as well. Um, so, so that's pretty helpful for those guys. And the other program we run is the Medical Schools Council funded scheme for summer schools. Uh, and that's spread a bit wider. Basically, the Medical Schools Council did a bit, a bit of research and they were looking for what they call cold spots, which is where areas across the country where a lot of schools don't have much contact with medical schools. So there's not a lot of outreach going on there. And then they basically they ask us to target those areas and we invite them to a summer school. Um, so last year it was virtual, the year, be the year before it was in person. 
Um, and, and basically the summer school, we also run a summer school for the pathway students. They, they get to do some hands-on stuff. They get an experience of a university teaching. What they really like is they, uh, they get a kind of current student who runs their little group um, and they get to talk to every day and sort of chat about stuff. Um, and we give them a bit of admissions advice and stuff like that. Um, so that also seems kind of quite helpful. And what we're also trying to do with those is to follow up just with little things. So we can't offer them quite as much in person because they've got to travel a bit further, but we've been offering some kind of virtual events to back up the summer school as well. Oh, that's amazing. So that's a lot as well. Um, can, can I ask if someone wanted to apply to the Pathways to Medicine um, initiative, how would they go about doing that? Uh, you would Google Pathways to Medicine and Imperial, and you should find it um, fairly easily. Okay. Um, so I guess the only thing I would say is, you know, we, we unfortunately have to cap it at about 60 because realistically we can't take more. But yeah, so, but the other thing I'd say is if you are applying to it, make sure if there's, you know, there's, there's reasons that you should, should be on it, make sure you tell us about them, you know. So, and, um, I, and I guess you don't want it to be a competition of disadvantage but if you think there's things that are really holding you back then tell us about them you know that's that's really helpful for us um and similarly for the medical skills council summer school as well so in fact we have because because it's been virtual we've opened it up a bit more and we have taken students in london as well and from from areas outside the cold spots as well more recently um so um again if you if you google um medical skills council summer schools you should find it you probably find the central medical skills site and then you can link to the imperial site oh amazing i'll, I'll link to that in the show notes yeah if you can't find them drop me a line <laughs> thank you do you um offer financial does imperial or imperial medical school offer financial support for students from low-income backgrounds are there scholarships available anything like that yeah, we well, uh, the, the probably the biggest thing we offer is the imperial bursary. So the imperial, and again, if you <laughs> more details, if you Google imperial bursary or imperial college bursary, you should be able to find it. So basically, what that does is is pay some. You know, it's not a loan; it's money you don't need to pay back. Uh, and depending on your household income, so if you're earning, if your household earns, earns under sixteen thousand pounds, you can get um, five grand a year. If they're earning under fifty thousand pounds, you can still get four thousand a year, and actually, you still get something up to a combined income of sixty thousand in the household. Wow! Okay. Um, and I think that goes quite a long. You know, I guess people are concerned about the cost of living in London, and you know, cost of living in London is higher than it is in some other you know medical school towns. Um, but certainly the imperial bursary is pretty generous, actually, when, I, when I've looked across the sector and, and, and goes a long way to making up for that difference in the cost of living. So, yeah, that's pretty helpful. There are also kind of small scholarships that you can go for through the system, but they, they generally tend to be in the order of hundreds of pounds rather than a few thousand. So the imperial bursary is the main form of support. OK. And how would you describe the course curriculum at Imperial? Uh, so we're a six year course with a compulsory intercalated BSc in the fourth year. Uh, we're an integrated course. You get clinical contact from very early on in your first year. And I guess the, the, then we're teaching you the science, but we're also hopefully teaching you the clinical skills and the common skills that you need. Then going into your proper clinical placements at the end of year two. Um, and then, yeah, years three, five and six are the kind of core clinical years and 
your intercalated BSCs in your fourth year. We have a lot of choice for the BSE pathways. So I think we have about 17 pathways at the minute. And Oh, wow, that's a lot. So, yeah, so, so yeah, depending on what you're interested in, you can usually find it. So I, I run the endocrinology pathway. That's obviously a very good pathway. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, but it's cardiology or, you know, uh, surgery, all these things. But also we have a management one in the business school and we have a bioengineering one. We have a remote medicine one, which is kind of around expedition type medicine and that kind of thing. So, yeah, people generally enjoy them. A lot of variety. That's really cool. And, and so who would you recommend the Imperial course to and who would you not recommend it to? Um, I guess going, going back again to what I said earlier. So people who want to be at the middle of a kind of exciting, vibrant place. I think, you know, we are a science based university. So people who do like science is helpful um but i wouldn't want to give the impression that we're only turning out kind of people on clinical science research pathways we 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 do well at that and if that's what you want to do i think we're a very good place to be in a very supportive environment but we also turn out really good general practitioners and really good people in all forms of speciality so um yeah again i think just stressing the fact you know find out what you can about it and think if you'd be happy here for five five or six years in terms of the people we're turning away you know um look if you're if you're interested in science in helping people and you've got a good idea of what a doctor actually involves then you sound great for us um i i, I don't want to turn anyone away just because they you know they want they want to do a particular flavor of medicine we're very open and welcome Fine. That's good. And um, you, you touched on the, the science element of the Imperial course and uh, the types of graduates you have. Could you go into a bit more depth about the, the people who go on to do clinical sciences or, or research after graduating? Do you know how many people that is roughly or, or do they typically I, I don't look it, it across this sector? It's quite a small minority. I do know that at one point we sent the most number of people down that research pathway out of any medical school. Um, and I couldn't tell you if that's still true, but it's uh, we're certainly one of the highest, I would think. And I think that's partly because, look, we have compulsory BSc, which I think is very good training, but there's also lots of other research opportunities. A lot of the people who are teaching you will be clinicians who went down a research pathway, so they're quite well set up to support you. Um, every year we have a handful of students who um, who do their BSc and then actually decide to do an intercalated PhD. So they do a three-year PhD after the fourth year and then drop back into the fifth and sixth years to finish up after that. Now, obviously, that's a long time in medical school at that point. That's nine years. So that isn't for everybody. But some people just get really interested in what they're doing during the BSc and really want to carry on with the research at that stage. Um, so, yeah, we have people doing that every year as well. That's really cool. I mean, as a graduate to medicine, that kind of wasn't an offer in the courses we were doing. That's really unique and um, I would say quite special, actually. Um, so I think I've asked all the questions I want to ask about uh, Imperial Medical School. Thanks for answering those. I just wanted to ask you some personal questions, if that's OK. Yeah, that's fine. So can you tell us about your, your journey to become a, a professor and scientist? Uh, sure. So... Um... So I grew up in the Northeast and I, uh, 
I, I, I won't spend three hours telling you my life story. Or anything like that. Um, but I, I basically ended up doing a biology at UEA in Norwich. So I did biology with a year in the USA, though. So I, it was a four year course and I did a year in Berkeley in California. Oh, amazing. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think if I had to go back and kind of think of things that do differently, I think it's very easy when you're an undergraduate to get caught up in passing your exams rather than thinking about how interested you are in stuff. And I think if I went back, I'd like to actually spend a bit more time on the stuff I got interested in, but you're kind of thinking, oh, I just, I need to pass and get through. Um, and then I left university and then I was on the dole in the Northeast. I was unemployed in the Northeast for about six weeks and it was a bit depressing. And then some of my friends were moving down to London so I thought, well, I might as well be unemployed in London. I've only, I'd only been to London twice in my life at the time. So I moved down to London and I got a job unloading trucks for Sainsbury's, which I did for about three months. And I applied for every job that needed a biology degree, but no experience. And eventually I actually became a technician in the department I'm still in. So I was, I was hired to do a technician's job. And they kind of liked me and then I did a I got some funding from the Medical Research Council to do a PhD um, and then after about six months after my PhD I was really lucky these positions came up in the medical school where I could do half teaching half research and so I got a lecturer's position quite early on and then yeah since then I kind of <laughs> haven't been anywhere my job has changed so I got quite I was always quite interested in widening participation and getting more access across university for people from lower socioeconomic demographics and things like that and so they you know when a job came up in admissions around that i i went for that um and then we kind of kicked off all of these programs that's been great and yeah i run a, a research group I'm, I'm i look a lot at metabolic disease and what controls appetite and food intake and um related to things like glucose handling and stuff like that um yeah so uh, yeah, it's I just kind of moved up, um, and here I am today. Can I ask why is it that you have a, a particular passion for widening participation? Um, look, I mean, I I I, I wouldn't want to give you the you know I wasn't I, I wasn't brought up in a hovel or anything like that. I went to a perfectly reasonable state school, comprehensive. But I've ended up in various university environments, you know, whether in visiting or uh, and so on, where you kind of realise that things are skewed a bit, um, and that in lots of places, um, your educational background is a big factor um, on on where you end up in higher education. And I think anything you can do to kind of level that playing field is a good thing. So. Um, yeah, I guess I got interested in it. I think also, I think maybe in your research, in my research lab, you see a bit that actually it's not always people who on paper look amazing are actually the best in the lab and the best at doing research, for example. It's often people with enthusiasm given the opportunity. Um, and then you kind of think, well, okay, again, how can you level that playing field so those people actually get a chance to shine? Uh, and yeah, that's how I ended up there. Cool. And what's been um, your highlight of your career so far? Well, I'm still waiting for it, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, I mean, I think every year I like seeing the kids on, sorry, kids sounds very patronising, doesn't it? The young adults who are on my widening participation programmes, it's nice seeing them, some of them come into Imperial, but also seeing them going to other medical schools. It's also good, some of them, 
decide that they do it and they think, okay, well, I've learned a lot about medicine, but in fact, I want to do something different. So some of them go into engineering or biomedical sciences and things like that. And that's also quite a good result for us. You know, they've made an informed decision and, and what we do, I think, has helped them along that as well. So that that's really nice. Really know, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think um, sometimes that question of what if will haunt people. So being able to have a really informed decision about whether or not medicine is for them is, is super, super important. Yeah, I mean, I always I always stress to people applying to medical school, if you do work experience and you don't like it, that wasn't a waste of time. You've saved yourself a lifetime of unpleasantness, <laughs> training for a job you don't want to do. It's actually a really efficient use of your time to do work experience and then admit to yourself if you don't want to do it. Definitely. And um, if you were to give anyone any advice um, who's about to start the journey uh, to go to higher education, what what would you what would you say to them? Or if you could go back in time and give yourself any advice when it came to starting your higher education journey, what would that be? Um, so I, I think maybe the often a useful thing to think about is rather than thinking about it from your perspective, I'm a student, I'm trying to get in there and you're constantly trying to stand out or get ahead of people or anything like that, is actually thinking, okay, what is the people who are letting potentially letting me into university who what the admissions tutors what is it they're actually looking for and it's often a lot simpler than you think and it's not necessarily all singing or dancing you know they want somebody who's going to be able to manage the course who's going to be good at it and from I guess the point of view of medicine who's going to going to hopefully come out and be a good doctor and a, and a happy doctor um I guess yeah the other things I'd probably I mean it's difficult isn't it you look back at yourself as a 17 year old or whatever and I think I could have probably been a bit more organized so I, I I still probably have a tendency to run to deadlines but actually for medicine applications it's really important to start early just because there's a lot of stuff to do and I think the other thing is sometimes people think well it doesn't matter it'll go okay on the day um, but actually the more preparation you do the much better chance it has of going okay on the day um, and that doesn't mean that you need to memorize your interview answers and things like that. It just means to think, OK, they're going to ask me about X, Y and Z. What am I going to say when they ask me that? And, you know, what do I want to talk about? What do I want to make sure I get across so that they understand how serious I am about this or how good I'm going to be at this or why they should choose me? And thinking about that, I always say, think about it like a list of bullet points. Don't think of it as a paragraph because you sound robotic. But if you think of it as, OK, I need to mention that I did this, I've done that and I've found out this, then actually being able to talk around that and sell yourself is is much easier, I find. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, preparation really pays off for when it comes to these uh, really stressful interviews. Hmm. Um, Professor Murphy, thank you very much for your time. It, it, I think um, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think might be useful? Um yeah nothing nothing i can think of anyway um, I, guess, I guess i just highlight to people if they you know people often have very specific questions about you know is my a is this a level going to work or do you count this etc etc have a look at our website there's a huge amount of stuff there and really if it's not up there and it's something quite specific then just drop us a line we're very happy to answer and there's a email address you can find really easily on there yeah, I, and that's how I got in touch with uh, Imperial and uh, people got back to me very, very quickly. So there was definitely someone at the end of that inbox. Yeah. Which is nice. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, look, the admin team are fantastic. And that was our interview with Professor Murphy at Imperial Medical School. I hope that was useful and gave you a little bit of insight that, that you wouldn't have had otherwise. 
you have any questions about anything that was mentioned please do drop me a message on instagram twitter or on our email which is amrit that's a-m-r-i-t at tomorrowsmedstudent.com if you have any feedback or any other questions do get in touch and if there's people that we haven't spoken to yet that you want to hear from do let me know and i'll try and sort that out We've been interviewing loads of other medical schools as well. Warwick Med School, Newcastle Med School are just amongst some of those that we've interviewed and we've got more coming up, as well as more interviews with doctors and medical students. And we'll be dropping interviews once a week on a Monday at least. So stay tuned.